Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the pod. This is part two on God's design and plan for submission in marriage. You can see part one on episode 64. And if you want the uh, previous episodes for the podcast uh, connecting to this series, you'd have to go back to episode 49 and episode 50. All right. Last week, I talked about what submission does and the definition of submission. And I just want to review the definition of submission. I think it's critically important to state this definition over and over again. It's important for us as believers to be reminded of what submission is because it's so easy to become independent and unsubmissive. So again, the biblical definition of submission is this. It is a voluntary yielding to God-established authorities. A voluntary yielding. That means it is an act of the mind, and it is an attitude that is cultivated. So submission means that you, even if you disagree with something, you will turn your mind to obedience, and then you will follow through with obedience. We know from the Word of God that there are many spheres of authority. I'm just going to give you a brief rundown. There are governing authorities, human governments. There are civil authorities. There is a authority of parents to children. And there is also the authority of husbands to wives. And that perhaps is the most controversial in our day and age, husbands to wives. But it is important that we understand God's perspective on these matters. He wrote a book called the Bible. He gave it to us. It's the only book that he ever wrote. And in that book, he explains how he established and ordered the universe. And because God is God, he gets to establish and order it in whatever way he sees fit. He doesn't take into account our feelings. He doesn't take into account what we think is fair or not, because as finite beings, even if we were perfect, even if we had no sin as finite beings, we would not be as fair or as just or as wise as God is, for he is infinite. With that small introduction out of the way and that small refresher out of the way, let's get into what submission does not do. Again, last week we looked at four things that submission does, and this we, I spoke all of these four things from a positive perspective. These are the positive attributes that submission does do. And so today we're going to look at uh, four things that submission doesn't do. So these are negative traits of submission. That doesn't mean each of these traits is negative, okay? It doesn't mean that we shouldn't do these things. In fact, we should, but these are truths stated in a negative manner, such as thou shalt not steal, 
that's a truth stated in a negative manner. So we're going to look at four aspects of submission stated in a negative manner today. The first thing is that submission doesn't mean that a wife follows her husband into sin. So if a wife is going to be submissive, she cannot follow her husband into sin. That is not submission to her husband. That is disobedience to God. In every God-designed authority structure, God expects those who are submitting to the authority to submit to the authority to the extent that they do not violate his revealed word. Let me try to state this in a positive way. God expects you to submit to the authorities he has established only when those authorities are giving instructions and orders and commands that are consistent with God's revealed word. Now, there is a great amount of latitude. There are a number of gray areas where God doesn't say anything positive or negative regarding the commands and the orders that an authority can give. Let's just take the COVID situation. I know it's a hot topic issue, but it's a good example right now. Right now in the state of Ohio, our governor has issued a mask mandate. So you have to wear a mask when you're out in a public place. What do we think about that? Well, I don't really like doing it, but I can't find anywhere in the Word of God that wearing a mask is prohibited by God. And so I've chosen to honor the governing authorities by wearing a mask, even though I don't like it, even though I don't prefer it, because I want to honor God. And I honor God when I obey and submit to the authorities that he has established. But God does not expect you as a wife or me as an individual to go so far in your submission to authority that you violate one of his known commands. Look at what Peter says to the Pharisees when they were called in by the Pharisees in Acts chapter 5 and told not to teach in the name of Jesus any longer. Peter says this, we must obey God rather than men. This is Acts 5.29. Peter knew that what the civil authorities and the religious authorities were asking him to do was a violation of God's stated and revealed word. And so he could not submit to them. He chose to disobey them in order to honor God. So wives, you must submit to your husband unless he tries to lead you into sin. Do not obey in those instances. Call your husband's sin out. Do not be complicit in the sin. You can see exactly what happens to a wife who is complicit in the sin in the instance of Sapphira whose husband, Ananias, sold a tract of land, and the two of them agreed together to lie about the amount that they sold it for. And they lied to the Holy Spirit and to the church. And Ananias was killed for his sin. And a few hours later, Sapphira, when questioned, lied also and was killed for her sin. Do not follow your husband into sin. 
Obey God and trust Him to deliver you. Wives, this may require you to really know the Word of God well. It requires you to be an independent thinker and to confirm that what is being told to you by your husband is indeed the truth of the Word of God. There are many men who are skillful at deceiving and manipulating women through the Word of God. So be very careful, wives, that you are discerning and that you study whatever it is your husband asks you to do to confirm that it is indeed consistent with God's will. So that is the first uh, thing that submission doesn't do. Submission does not follow your husband into sin. Now, a second thing that submission doesn't do, okay? Submission doesn't mean that a wife embraces complete passivity or alter her God-given personality. Many people mistakenly think that submission means you set aside your own personality, your will, and your skills. You exist in a realm where every action is controlled or determined by the will of your husband. You have no freedom of thought, no freedom of expression, no freedom to uh, share your own conclusions and interpretations of the Word of God. Many people think that true Christian submission is having a woman be totally silent, totally passive, totally deferential. In other words, it's, yes, dear, whatever you say, dear, whatever you think is best, dear. Um, that's, not, that's not being a helpmate, okay? This idea of submission that I'm talking about right now, this embrace of complete passivity, or altering your God-given personality is exactly why the feminist movement uh, rails against the patriarchy, okay? So the feminist movement rails against the patriarchy because they say, well, you have domineered women, and you have not given women a voice, and you've not listened to women, and you've made us fit this mold of being barefoot and pregnant and in the kitchen, and we can't speak our minds, and we can't do anything, and we're not valued other than for Uh, sexual fulfillment, uh, offspring, and food, you know. And, And you know what? There are some people who think that about women, and they think that wrongly. And there are some Christians who think that about women, and that's wrong because that is treating your wife like a second class citizen. Your wife is not a second class citizen, husbands. Your wife is your helpmate, and she is to be revered and honored and treated with great care and respect, just as you would care and respect your own body. So Christian submission or biblical submission doesn't mean that a wife must embrace this completely passive personality and attitude. Rather, as a suitable helper, the wife has been given talents and gifts by the Lord. The wife has been given the same privileges of personhood and being an image of God bearer as the husband. That means 
that she has intellect, emotion, will, personality, creativity. She has the ability to know and understand truth. And when God says that he gave Eve to Adam to be a helpmate, that doesn't imply passivity. That implies active participation in the relationship, active participation in the management of a household, in the rearing of children. So, wives, if you have the idea that true submission means that you need to keep your mouth shut and say, yes, dear, and not do anything outside of or other than what the limited view of your role is, according to your husband, then you need to really rethink that view of submission. And if you're a husband who thinks that that's what a wife should do to be submissive, I would challenge you to rethink that attitude and that idea. I don't think that you're honoring your helpmate in the way that God calls you to love and honor and respect your helpmate. A woman does not need to embrace total passivity, nor does she need to give up her God-given personality. But she needs to seek to use those gifts and abilities in accord with what is best for her family. And it should be with discussion with her husband and upon mutual agreement with him. Wives, if you're stuck in a scenario that I've just described, you need to go back and listen to episode 64 about how to win your husband over. If he's presenting you with an unbiblical attitude and idea about submission. A third thing that submission does not do. Submission, biblical submission, does not mean that a woman must remain completely silent. And this, is, uh, f- this follows naturally from the previous point, right? That if a woman doesn't have to embrace complete passivity— then a woman doesn't also have to remain completely silent. Now, this has to be balanced with what we talked about in 1 Peter chapter 3. Because God does say that the way positively for a wife to win over her husband is to win him without a word. Does that mean she never talks to her husband? Of course not. That's absurd. You have to talk. You have to communicate. But when there comes a point of disagreement, especially about areas of theology or areas of leadership and management of the home, after the wife has stated her position and backed up her position with biblical truth, at that point, if her husband has not been persuaded, then she needs to go about winning him by her submissive attitude and behavior. All right, Too many people mistakenly think that because it says, or because the text of Scripture says that a wife is to win her husband without a word, that she's not allowed to communicate with him, that she must always be completely silent when it comes to speaking up for the household or for herself. But that's not biblical. That's not a biblical perspective on uh, a wife's role. Think about this. As a fellow heir in Christ, all right, if if you have two Christians who are married to one another, as a fellow heir in Christ, she is obligated 
it is her Christian duty to offer reproof to her husband. It is her duty to call out sin. It is to her benefit and to his benefit to encourage him, to be patient with him, to share wisdom, and to make requests. You see, the egalitarian position says that men and women are equal because they are equal in Christ. And this is true. They are equal in Christ. They, they however, have different roles to fulfill. And this is where we, I personally and many other scholars have a disagreement with the egalitarian position. Just because we're equal in Christ doesn't mean that we fulfill the same role or function within the family. But here, I do want to point to that equality in Christ, and I want to point to it to this degree and say, submission doesn't mean that a woman should be silent when it comes to pointing out various areas of sin or issues of theology or important matters of discussion for managing a household. A woman should be able to bring those issues up to her husband as a fellow heir in Christ on equal footing with him. And if you're a wife, think about the best way to do this. All right. In many cases, it's not what we say that gets us in trouble. It's the timing of what we say and when we say it. If you as a wife want to disagree with how your husband is, let's say, for example, disciplining children, Or let's just pick an even more generic example. Let's say you want to disagree with your husband's financial management. The best place to confront him about that is probably not at the dinner table surrounded by all your children. That's not the best place to have that conversation. So find a time when you can have that conversation. Schedule a time when you can have that conversation. I think that women need to be willing to act according to their standing in Christ. And occasionally that means speaking out about various biblical issues to their husbands. Now, if your husband doesn't accept it, then you begin practicing what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. I think too many women want to go the route of speaking out, speaking out, speaking out, speaking out. And they become nagging. They become uh, a bother. And I think men have a tendency to tune out when that happens. So wives, be careful and conscientious about how you speak out. But know that I believe there are appropriate times and appropriate issues by which you can speak out because you are a fellow heir in Christ. Now, fourthly, the last aspect here. Submission doesn't mean that a wife must only do things which are connected to her husband or which are at the express direction of her husband. I think this is an important principle because if A husband and wife can understand this principle and practice it in their marriage. It will aid greatly in reducing conflicts and in dividing management of the household. 
If you consider Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, and you look at the industrious activities of the wife who is mentioned and upheld as an example in that chapter, you will find that she initiates many of the activities that she does. She does many of them without direct supervision from her husband. Now, I think that her husband had knowledge of the activities, but he was not directly supervising her. In other words, saying, now you go do this and you go do that and you go do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. No, he understood that she was a capable and gifted woman. And he also understood that her management of those affairs was her management of those affairs, that God had gifted her to do those things. And he was willing to turn those things over to him, to her. Note that Proverbs 31, 10 and 11 emphasizes the fact that his heart trusted in her. How did, how did that happen? Well, she had proven not only to be industrious, but to be a good manager of her, of her time. She was somebody who knew how to prioritize correctly. In other words, she had spiritual priorities first, family priorities second, and business and personal priorities after those two things. If a wife can learn how to do these types of industrious things without having to have her husband tell her all the time, do this, do that, or do the other thing, it will greatly aid in the management of a household. I would say one of the frustrating things for husbands and wives is this false notion that husbands have to be directing every aspect of family life, that somehow it's not submissive if a husband doesn't say, now today you have to do the laundry and do this chore and do that chore and do this other chore. Somehow we have it in our mind that a husband has to initiate every aspect of household management or child rearing or development. Now, the fact of the matter is husbands, if they're working and industrious on their own, have plenty of their own obligations to care for. So it is a great benefit to husbands when you do marry a capable and industrious wife who is able to care for that household management. Submission doesn't mean that a wife can only do things at the direction of her husband. You can be plenty submissive. You can have an attitude and a willingness to submit and also be industrious and also do many activities that are not directly commanded to you by your husband. Now here, let me give you a, an example of how you would practice submission regarding the industrious activities you want to pursue and also practicing proper submission. So for example, let's say you have some business activities planned. Perhaps you're somebody who does like one of the multi-level marketing companies and you've tried to set up um, some meetings or something like that. And your husband, without knowing that you've set up those meetings, your husband asks you to do something that's a very specific and particular tasks, task. And the task needs to be done in a timely manner. True submission 
was say, you know what? I am going to honor my husband and I'm going to cancel these other meetings and reschedule them. And I'm going to submit and work with my husband and submit to him to accomplish the tasks that he's asked me to do. So if you want to maintain a submissive attitude and still also be industrious, recognize that the activities that you do are subservient to the overarching plan that your husband may want to implement for your family. Now, on the other side of that, on the flip side, before women, uh, you wives, get all mad at me for saying, well, so I have to change my whole schedule at the drop of a hat. Let me, let me give you the flip side of that. The flip side of that is the husband who is loving his wife will be respectful of how she has set up her time and is managing her affairs. And uh, he will consider what he asks her to do in light of activities and plans that she has already made. Now, sometimes it's unavoidable that plans have to be changed, and that's where it's challenging to submit. But husbands, if you really want to love your wives, consider the activities and the plans that they have made before you put them in the spot where they have to choose to submit to you and honor the Lord or cancel all of their plans and perhaps lose reputation or lose uh, standing with friends or other individuals. So those are the four things that submission doesn't do. They're stated negatively, but they're all mostly positive things, right? Submission doesn't mean that a wife follows her husband into sin. That's a positive. Submission doesn't mean that a wife embraces complete passivity. Submission doesn't mean that a wife must be completely silent. And submission doesn't mean that a wife must only do things that are connected to her husband or directed by her husband. These are wonderful truths. And I think when you combine these four truths today with the four uh, points that I made in the last episode about submission, it really helps to provide a balanced view of submission. Now, again, we understand that we live under the curse of sin, and as a result of the curse of sin, we don't always do what we should do when we should do it. I, as a husband, practice imperfect, imperfect leadership, and my wife, as a wife, will at times practice imperfect submission. But the biblical model is not a broken model. It's a model that ought to be celebrated And it is a model that if you learn the principles and you will follow it, will result in a great amount of peace and tranquility and prosperity. And I don't just mean prosperity in terms of financial prosperity, but I mean quality of life prosperity, okay? Quality of life. There are many people who are wealthy but miserable, but many people who because they have learned and mastered biblical principles, are perhaps not wealthy according to the world standards, but live a very prosperous life because their quality of life is high and their joy and their hope is in serving Jesus Christ. Well, these eight 
um, aspects of submission probably don't answer every question that you have. Perhaps they even raise some questions, but it gets us in the ballpark. It gets us talking, okay? I think that we need to be recognizing that our goal as Christians, and Christians in marriage in particular, is to be pursuing Christ-likeness by pursuing the roles that he has called us to in marriage. So as a husband, I am to be pursuing better leadership. As a wife, my wife would be pursuing better submission. And that doesn't mean, again, that we're perfect or that our personality traits always lead to uh, the best practice of these roles. Your personality traits might not lead to the best practice of these roles either. But that's why it's called sanctification. It's a process of putting off the old and putting on the new, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that you're edified and you're challenged and to begin working on these areas in your marriage. And I hope that you will see real growth in your relationship with your spouse as a result of implementing God's truth in your life. May you have strength to pursue that which God has called you to. Amen.